Well, hello and welcome to this newest installment of A Few Minutes With. And it's my joy today to have the priest and writer and Lent Madness celebrity blogger. Distinguished. Distinguished. That means that, we're, that means we don't ever get to not do it. <laughs> Congratulations, I guess. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but above all, my longtime friend, Lori Brock. Uh, Lori, it's great to have you, and it's great to see you. It's been a while since we've had a chance to catch up. Yeah, great to be here. Um, excited, excited to see you via Zoom. That's the way I see everybody these days, and everybody <laughs> else has seen everybody. <laughs> Well, for those that don't know, you are the rector of the Church of St. Michael the Archangel in Lexington, Kentucky. It's a beautiful parish that I was able to visit a few times over the years. Um, and like every other congregation, you're dealing with some significant adjustments. And so I wanted to begin by asking you how the congregation's doing with the adjustment. And in the midst of all this, have any surprise gifts popped out or popped up among the parishioners that you didn't even know were there? You know, I think that probably like most people and um, St. Michael's is adapting. Um, I don't know that I would have hear anybody say that they're enjoying this time, but I think they're adapting. Mm. I think as Christians, the fact that we have language about sacrifice matters, um, you know, this is a time of sacrifice. We are having to, to stay home. We are having to, to do things in, in ways that we would rather not do them. And we are doing them so that other people stay healthy and that we have time for our healthcare professionals to be in the position they need to be um, to keep us as healthy as possible. So, so I think that one of the things that I value um, about my faith is that we do have language about sacrifice that we can talk about and um, but we also have language about a God who is with us in all times and in all places and so that those have become themes that I try to lift up in all of my electronic communications um, I actually was not the first Sunday because so uh, the Bishop of Washington uh, was the first one to close churches and then uh, Bishop Mark was the second one. And so I, and I was part of sort of that early conversation. And I just remember thinking like, this would be easier if somebody else would do it first or it, or it was a cascade, but he was really early. Uh, our governor, Andy Bashir has been really proactive and very early. And so we were having to kind of make decisions before other things were. Now, by the time Mark made the decision, the NBA and the NCAA, like things happened really fast after that. But when he made that decision, that had not been made yet. And I actually wasn't going to do a digital service the first Sunday. I was just going to say, hey, here's, here's the prayer book and, you know, open it. And one of my, uh, my assisting priest who is retired said, you are like one of the digital people in the diocese. And if you don't do it, you know, mm -hmm. I, I thought, great. So now I have a reputation to uphold. So um, we did a Facebook Live. It was uh, it, it was not an unmitigated disaster, but it was just, I was like, we're not doing live again. Uh, but I have a parishioner who is a woodworker and who makes beautiful uh, woodwork and prayer bowls. I'm happy to show, send pictures to anybody who wants it. But he, um, in that, does a lot of filming of as he's crafting things. Um, and he said, I have this equipment. I'd love to come help. And I can tell you that the, the two parishioners who come, 
you know, we film on Saturday mornings who do that. They, they do the quiet, slow work of God. That is because I, with all that I'm having to do and all that other people, I, the idea of filming and editing is not what I would want to do. So I'm so thankful for people, for, for those parishioners who were doing that. Um, I'm my choir director, the choir director, music is such an important part of this church. So it was pretty important to me if we could to get that input. She has been amazing. Uh, we have a soloist that comes uh, and sings. So we have music to our morning prayer. Um, so those, I think just watching people offer and now we're stepping into, Hey, would you like to be a lector? So, you know, film it film yourself and then send it in and, and we'll edit it in. So finding those ways. Um, and I think one of the gifts of this for me is it is okay to learn as you go. Um, I, I think after we hit a certain age, we like to know everything and do everything perfectly and right. And we, you know, we want to have it all looking good before it goes out in public. And I think this whole process, especially for video church has been a learn as you go. And, you know, let's try this and how does this work? And some of it works and some of it doesn't, but just that permission to be faithful, um, to be authentic and, and vulnerable in this time and to let people know we're figuring this out too. Um, but also I think people just need to remember that we, they are not praying alone, you know? Yeah. So, you know, I, my congregation skews a little younger than the average Episcopal congregation, but we, I mean, we do have members who are retirement age. And so technology is a little different for them, but they're hanging, you know, they're hanging in there and, um, but, but we're figuring it out and I've got great volunteers. I mean, just the amount of people who have shown up and said, what can I do? Uh, what needs to be done? Whether it's detergent that needs to go to some of the schools that are in more fragile er economic areas in our country, in our community, right. uh, to, to two members of our floral guild who said, if we're going to film for Easter, the church is going to have some flowers. And to be able to continue, not our full order, but some of our were from our local florist and you know, those things, that economic uh, witness is important for churches too, if we, if, when and if we can't afford it, so. Well, and you, you mentioned just now the vulnerability that we're all feeling in branching out into this new area, and I was reminded, and in fact, I think there was a meme that ran around for a bit, that at the end of the day, as much as we want to be Cecil B. DeMille and do a Ten Commandments style production, at the end of the day, people just want to see us. Yeah, they, yeah, they they want to see it. They want to hear. I think they, you know, they want to hear our voices. They want to hear the prayers they've heard. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I miss celebrating the Eucharist for my congregation. I've made the decision that I celebrate the Eucharist again when we all celebrate it together. Yeah. Yeah. I know there are congregations who've made different decisions, and and I trust that you know make the make the decision that your congregation needs you to make, not the decision that the clergy on Twitter are yelling about because yeah. um, they don't know your people. And that was one of the early parts of this was a retired priest told me, you know, your people better than any other priest does. I trust that you know them. And, and that, again, that's hard because like, I want a book, you know, I want some rubrics on this and they're just not any to, yeah. to a great extent. Yeah. Well, let me shift gears. I mentioned at the outset that you're an author and your second book, Horses Speak of God, is 
beautiful. I mean, I could, I've been struggling lately to put words to things and beautiful is the one that I came up with. And I spent time this week rereading it and actually found that a lot of what you talk about in there is even more powerful and more relevant uh, in the time that we find ourselves in now. But before I get into that, I want to ask you, you talk in the introduction about how God nudged you back to horses. And you talk in the book about experiences you had as a a child and not being able to ride and feeling left out and then getting to a point where it didn't interest you, but you still felt God kind of pushing you in that direction. And out of that, you were pushed and nudged to write this book. So where did you feel that transfer from the time God put you back back on a horse to putting you behind a computer to write write this book out? Hmm. You know, part of it as was my my spiritual director actually was part of that because I would I would talk about a situation and then I would say and then this is what I would do on a horse like I I was connecting challenging situations or are 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 things I was trying to unknot in my own personal spiritual life mm-hmm. and I was connecting them with horses and she said have you ever thought of writing some of those down because you know the way that you connect those is um, is clearly helpful to you. And I wonder if it'd be helpful to somebody else. Um, and I sort of remember thinking, Oh, I haven't been riding long enough to do that. Uh, which was probably, which was true by the way. And so, um, and then I was at a, a, a writing conference and, uh, Amy Frickholm, which who wrote a beautiful book about Julian of Norwich that I adore it. And I were talking and I mentioned something about, toying around with the idea of of writing about what I had learned about faith through horses. Uh, and she said, Oh, I, I think that's a great book. And, and, and here's my editor. I don't think the book is going to be okay for their publishing house, but I think she, but she can give you feedback. And so emailed her editor and her editor said, I, I wish we could publish it. It's not for our house, but Paraclete is, really good and so that's how it happens so um you know again the the value of encouragement from somebody who says have you ever thought about this oh it's enormous and it sounds like god was nudging you through other people and and not even not even directly which is always uh, always yeah one of the early chapters um is called movement and i'll say for folks that haven't read the book each chapter relates to an aspect of horsemanship and horseback riding. Uh, But in this particular one, you talk about uh, movement together with the horse and maintaining balance and not having what you call a a stiff neck and being flexible and and sensitive and open. And you tied it into the almost inherent inflexibility that we as human beings have uh, about faith and about life and how easy it is to forget sometimes that movement and and change are are all part of life. And in fact, uh, you mentioned that change is a word that people embrace intellectually, but emotionally they're quick to to push it off. And now we find ourselves in a point where we've been forced to change and we've been forced to be flexible. Do you think this is something that just from your experience and your encounters with your parishioners or others, is something that will be long lasting or do you think there's going to be a, a snapback effect to 
you know, being resistant to that change again once it's not being thrust on people. Hmm. I didn't say I was going to make it easy on you. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, you know, none of us like change. Well, you know, I would say we all like change as long as it doesn't involve loss. But yeah. my experience is change always involves some loss, whether whether we know what that loss is or don't. Um, and I think what feels so overwhelming about this situation or one of the many things is that we didn't really have any say in this, you know, like, like it wasn't like we said, well, it, gosh, yeah. I, you know, Alex, I'll have global pandemic for 500, you know, like we didn't select this one. This showed up at our door. It showed up at our door fairly quickly. Um, I remember first hearing about it in December. So, I mean, there's, you know, and then by mid March we're in quarantine essentially. So, I mean, um, and, and I think the hard part of change is it gives us time to figure out what, what wasn't working beforehand. Mm -hmm. The challenge about that is, is was it really not working? Yeah, I mean, and I, and I talk about that in terms of, you know, addiction is sort of a, 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 a clear place to go. You know, one of my friends who's been in recovery and she likes to say since Jesus was in elementary school is that she says, you know, alcohol always works until it doesn't. Yeah. And and then something has to happen generally for you to realize, oh, this isn't working anymore. I, I you know, whether you lose your job or, or, or you're in prison or whatever. So so I kind of guess what I'm curious about is to see what what do we decide isn't working? you know, that, that we were doing before. Um, and, and I don't know what all those things are. You know, I, I, I suspect and maybe hope that we will decide maybe as, as valuable as digital ministry is, um, and communication is as wonderful as it is that I can text friends of mine or FaceTime. Um, I wonder if I will value those face-to-face -face encounters a little more than I did beforehand. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I just, you know, I think that the hard, the hardest part, you, when we talk about movement of riding horses, when I'm riding one, I don't have a lot of time to reflect on the great themes of it. You know, I'm on this horse and if it's a particularly hot horse or a particularly game horse, I have to be really present in that moment. Um, and the thing that I'm aware of is that I don't in that moment think about the meaning of what's going on. My purpose is to stay on that horse and my purpose is to get that horse to go or do what I need that horse to do in, in a way that that horse feels like the need to cooperate. Um, only after the fact do I reflect on, huh, what did I learn from that? What's the bigger narrative there? Mm -hmm. So I guess part of it is I'm always cautious about trying to find meaning when we're, when we are on the horse and we are right now, you know, and, um, and we're, and right now I think we're, we're using the tools we have to stay on this horse. Um, and, and, and probably I hope finding tools we, that we need because most of us are still in places of, of reaching out for help and, and, and those things. So what I think about the change is that when we get done with this, whatever that looks like, whether that's six months or two years or whatever the numbers are, that then we'll give ourselves permission to think, 
now what about this? Like, what was, what was the meaning? What did we learn? So that was a very long answer to your question, but, but well, my, my know, sense is that ride the horse right now, you know, do what you need to do to be safe, to be, to be in a relationship in this space right now. And then when, and then when you're done, let, you know, and, and on the ground standing and you're giving the horse a care because it did a good job, then you can take a breath and go, Hmm, what I learned about that. Well, and as you were answering that, I was thinking too, because throughout the book you're talking, and I'm not, I'm not a horse rider. In fact, the two times I tried it, the last time was 1988 and the horse basically said, this guy's an idiot. I'm just going back to the stable. And that's what we did. Um, so I, I don't have experience, but in, in, in the book, you talk about how sensitive horses are to how tightly you're holding the reins and just the slightest shift in where your heel or your, your calf is or where you're leaning in the saddle. And you know, trying to register whether a horse is about to buck or something. And and hearing you talk about that, I was thinking, you know, maybe that's what we should be doing with our congregations and our faith communities and our friends even that aren't part of our faith communities mm -hmm. is being sensitive to how tightly we're, you know, to use the language from your book, how tightly or loosely we're holding the reins with them or how sensitive they are to to slight shifts that we may be waking in the way we're riding in the saddle or holding our feet in the stirrups. And, and part of that awareness starts with us, uh, you know, how, how tightly wound are we, um, how stressed are, how stressed are we? Because what, you know, my grandmother always loved to say, you can't give away what you don't have. Um, and, and I think that, so, you know, we can't be non-anxious presences if we're all stressed out and this is kind of an appropriate time to be stressed out. So, you know, where does, what does that look like? And what does it look like when the tools that we have, you know, like right now I relate this to like riding a horse when one of your stirrups breaks or your rein snap or something goes wrong because this is not the normal way we ride horses. You know, I, I don't, as a priest, I am physically in the space with people if they're having a crisis to talk to them. You know, I lay hands on people for prayer and healing. I celebrate the Eucharist and share that with my congregation. And those tools are not available to me right now. Yeah. You know, I can't be in that same physical space. So I got to figure out, you know, to belabor the horse metaphor, I've got to figure out now how to ride this horse without some tools that crucial tools that I use. And I think part of that is trusting our ability that God has put us here and has equipped us with what we need. Mm -hmm. And can we be still enough and faithful enough to believe that we have those tools? Reaching for God for stability in the same way that if you're falling off the horse, you grab for the mane. Grab the mane. Grab the mane and give yeah. you stability. Something else that's changed with all this, and I, I want to read a quote from your book, um, is the subject of, uh, of boundaries. And, um, you know, you wrote a, a wonderful chapter in here that actually can be pronounced two ways. It's collect in terms mm -hmm. of collecting the horse that people can read about, but then collect in terms of the prayers that kind of bring things together at the beginning of some of our liturgies. But in that chapter, you wrote this about boundaries, and I I'd like to read it real quick. Too many people, moments, ideas, and issues pulling my head forward and down. Too many times of hearing my name followed by, can I ask you a question, taking my energy. Too many emails and text messages that keep my feet stuck in mud, limiting my forward movement into a day off and time away from work. 
I am at the same time racing to meet the demands I put on myself and others place on my life and incapacitated by the cement around the expectations of these same demands. I feel scattered and unbalanced. Too much of me pulled forward by the expectations of others and too little of my own energy grounding me to God. The first time I read that, when the book came out, I read it as a priest. And when I read it again this week, I read it as a human, somebody that's struggling with all this. And boundaries are being redefined. And it goes back to what we were talking about earlier as far as, as change, especially unexpected change. Do you, if you had to guess, and I love asking these million dollar questions that there's no answer for, but do you think people will be more sensitive to boundaries going forward, knowing how valuable they are, whether they're self-imposed or imposed upon us by situations like this? Oh, no. <laughs> no, I, I just, I generally think that humans, we struggle with boundaries um, because I think we're, we're, we are communal. And I think that those boundaries are going to get really um, wonderfully and beautifully messy when we can hug each other and be with each other and, and, uh, you know, I, oh, I missed you and let's go out to dinner and let's go to coffee and let's eat you know, all these things we can't do now. So I think that they'll be, you know, wonderfully blurred. Uh, and then, and then I think they will be changed. I, I think that probably for the first time for a lot of us, we suddenly pay attention to distance. You know, like when I walk my dog 300 times a day or, or you know, I'm very aware of, of where people are. Um, for me, I think the shift in the boundary is I'm suddenly aware how other people have, I've, I've stepped a little out of where I reside. Um, you know, how many people do we encounter in our lives and in our congregations who, because of their, um, fragile health cannot go out into public because even a cold would do serious damage to them. Mm -hmm. And so they can't go to the grocery store and, you know, how many people that we know because of physical um, disabilities can't easily leave their homes, right. you know, and, and, and how many people, you know, like, I just, I wonder like what, you know, those, so to me, kind of that boundary is, wow, there's some, there's ones I wasn't even aware. I mean, I was aware of it, but not in a particularly, present way the way I am now mm -hmm. uh, you know I, I've actually kind of wondered if agoraphobia is going to become a real issue yeah. where people just don't want anybody around because it's so scary mm -hmm. um, I was saying the other day to a clergy colleague that you know like we don't have anybody around who lived through the Spanish flu epidemic mm -hmm. I mean we have narratives but you know, I, I wonder what that was like to, to sort of say, oh, you can come out now. Uh, I'm not heightened to believe that, quite honestly. You know, like, oh, well, okay. So, so I think that boundaries will get messy. I think boundaries are harder to keep now for me because uh, my, my response to anxiety is generally to overfunction. Um, and this is just a, oh, this is a field right for that, you know, like, because suddenly, you know, like people can't come into the office and I'm having to do all the newsletters and everything, you know, so I'm having to do stuff. I did, um, 
And I'm having to walk back from that. Like I find, you know, had yesterday I took off. Um, okay. I need 24 hours of downtime. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think clergy particularly are going to be really bad at keeping boundaries because uh, we are anyway, I think. And I, and I think we're going to need to remember that we can't uh, love somebody through three months of quarantine. You know, like we can't make up for the lost time that we can be present to where we are. Um, and I think to remember, we have to take care of ourselves too. Um, I really hope that all clergy right now have either a therapist or a spiritual director or, or, or somebody that they are talking with um, about where they are. Um, I hope that that clergy are taking time off and caregivers are taking time off, mm -hmm. whether those people are, are in healthcare or, or whatever, you know. Um, I hope parents are giving themselves a break. I cannot imagine being a parent right now with, with all these new rules. And I have said to my congregation, if your kids have all their fingers and toes that they started this with, you win. Like they don't need to learn another language. They don't need to read War and Peace, you know? And, and I think what, what I hope is that the boundaries become kinder to ourselves, um, mm -hmm. that we find grace in that space. Um, I did laugh because that chapter was the one that I start out when the um, Keurig uh, and it died three days ago and I was standing in front of it and I was like start I was like I, I could feel myself like start to hit meltdown mode and I was like oh wait the church has a Keurig and nobody's using it so <laughs> the church Keurig is now in my house um, because I I have we have them and uh, going to the grocery store is a little uncomfortable and the coffee shop where I buy my coffee from is closed. So yeah. there's that. <laughs> well, I want to end with one thing, you know, James Lipton was always famous in his interviews of asking people, if you get to the pearly gates and God's there, what do you think God will say to you? If somebody comes up to you in an elevator distance from six feet, but in an elevator, nonetheless, what would you say to them in 30 seconds is something to strengthen them during this time? Are they six feet away from me? Or, six or more. It's they're a big six or more it's feet away from me. Oh, I would say the thing that I've been telling my congregation, God is with us and we are with each other. Hmm. And we are like with each other. You know, we are, and God is with us and not just a toss off. But, you know, I, I am amazed by the number of times in a day that I can stop and think, because it's that point, I'm at that point where I ask myself, where did I see God today? Mm -hmm. um, because I, I, I can feel so busy that I forget to do that. And, you know, just that point of stopping and thinking, oh, I saw God today because a friend of mine texted me, you know, uh, that Grant Chester was going to come back, you know, or just the, those things are, oh, call the midwife was on. So now I get to cry every Sunday, have therapeutic cry time. <laughs> um, but I think that, that what do we do every day to remember that God is with us? And what do we do to remember that we are with each other? And, and what do we do to be part of that narrative? Uh, not to just let love happen to us, which it does, but how are we agents of love? And, and right now, 
you know, we have no idea. I mean, I know what it's like to just get an email from a parishioner that says, gosh, that Easter service was great because I was making it all up, you know, or, you know, or, or to have somebody drop off, you know, chocolate. I, I mean, just those things matter. And I think they matter more because that's the only communication we really have now. Yeah. But, you know, we're not running into each other on the street. So yeah, that God, God is with us. We are with each other. And, and how are we active in that space of being with? Yeah. Thank you. Well, I know you've, this probably isn't, well, I know it's not the first place you're going to be able to announce this, but I think putting your author hat back on, I think you've got uh, a little news to share and I'm going to pretend like this is the first time you've shared it with anybody. Are, are you going to, yeah, because I really haven't. I mean, it's, so I got, I got the news like the first, the first, first, the first or thousandth week in quarantine, you can, but uh, I signed a contract. So I will be Paraclete, which is the publisher of Horses Speak of God. It, I had to write the title down because I'll forget it. Um, the Long Way Home, Encountering God in Unusual Places. And so, ironically, it's about encountering God in different places that I've traveled, um, whether they be across the world or down the street. So we shall see what that looks like. And I do want to put a plug in uh, for buying books right now through local bookstores, through publishers. I mean, go to the publisher website, go to Paraclete Press, go to small publishing houses. You know, they, they are hurting. Everybody is. And this is a great time to discover a new book. Uh, but please, please, there, I mean, my heart breaks for authors who I know had book launches scheduled during this time. And you know, so if you can go to websites, if you can buy books, share on Facebook, social media, wonderful books you've read. I constantly am discovering books because people I know on Twitter or whatever said, oh, this is a great book. Or So um, I just cannot say enough about supporting particularly small independent presses right now because they, it is, the publishing industry is, is one of those essential industries in my opinion can you imagine a world without books yeah. um, and and i and i don't i want us to have as many of those publishing houses on the other side of this as we do now so um so even if you think you know oh, i don't want to buy a book or do your christmas shopping now you know yeah. like buy a bunch of books for people christmas christmas is is now uh less than nine months away so I think I can't remember. I don't do math anymore. So give or take. Um, um, so, you know, I, I just, I just think this, you know, buy local as you can support local businesses support. Cause I, I think to me, that is a way that we can have a purpose right now. Um, and I mean, I know that just, it, it feels good to me when I can go, out and and safely get food from a local business or order from our local bookstore so um and it i have a sense that i'm i'm trying to do what i can uh that may not be helpful for everybody and some people are but i thankfully am in a position where i have some shekels that can go that way yeah yeah well laurie it was great catching up with you i really appreciate your time and uh I hope everybody in Lexington does buy a book because the next time out there, you have to take me back to that same bookstore you and I go to every time I'm out there to see you. Oh, there's, you know, we've lost two of our independent bookstores now. 
So, wow. so they've closed, uh, but there's still some very good ones. And there's still the bookstore at uh, Gethsemane, which is always fun to go. Yeah, it's worth the trip to end to itself. Yeah, it's always so. Um, but yes, thank you. Be safe. Good to see you. Thanks. Thanks for the interview. And uh, hopefully we'll see you sooner rather than later in person. Absolutely. God bless. Bye.